Let's take our Bibles or your phone or your tablet and let's go to that passage we just read, Matthew 7, verses 12 to 14. Uh, for those of you online and here in the room, I add my welcome this morning uh, to you. Glad you're here. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors. And I know most in the room know that, but some do not. Uh, Rob Sweet is our lead pastor, but we share uh, the teaching responsibilities. So I'm teaching this morning here for our congregation at Franklin Rob's in Brentwood this morning. And um, uh, and then I'll be there next week and Rob will be here. What? Why? Because for us, uh, we, we, we live that out of a value called better together. And we think in the pulpit, it's, it's good to have a... Um, multiplicity of voices. It takes the focus off the teacher, quite frankly, and puts it where it belongs, and that is on the living word of God for us today. So with that, um, we are in our final uh, weeks of our study through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, better known as the Sermon on the Mount. If, If the sermon, and this is pun intended, if the Sermon on the Mount were a mountain, let's just say, go with me here for a moment, Uh, then we're gonna experience two things today. We are going to experience the summit. So in our text today, we get to the high point of the Sermon on the Mount. And then secondly, today, we begin our descent off the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew has, has so organized these words from Jesus that We see a literary device that he uses that I'm gonna describe to you. Um, If you think about the sermon, you know, we've been in it for some two, almost three months now. Uh, All the way back in chapter five, verse uh, 17, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. So there's a marker he makes right here. And now we come all the way over here to Matthew 7, verse 12, and of the golden rule, Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. So you see these two markers that he's given us, literary device called an inclusio that just says, okay, mark this, mark that, and include everything in between under that main topic, i.e. this is the main content of the sermon. There was an introduction And now, as we stand on the peak and begin the descent, verses 13 and 14, begin the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. I say it begins because we're gonna be here for four more weeks in this conclusion as we come off the mountain. Now, I'm using the mountain analogy on purpose. There's a reason. I think many know this, but let me remind you that most mountain climbers Uh, do not uh, meet their end climbing the mountain. Most mountain climbers die on the descent. It's the descent that that, that kills people. It's the descent that's most dangerous. And I I say that to say that as we come off the Sermon on the Mount, um, it's the descent that trips people up. When Jesus begins, quite frankly, to call us to choose. Um, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, by all measures, a a, a great man and and, uh, did did great work. Um, He he, he loved the Sermon on the Mount. 
Uh, it's known that he would have a prayer meeting uh, each weekday evening, seven o'clock, and, and, and it, several times he would simply take the Sermon on the Mount and read it. It's all it's ne- that, and really, that's all that's needed, right? And, and if you think about it, think about the Beatitudes, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. You can see that, that really his, his whole philosophy of nonviolence, do you see it's built upon the truths of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he clearly agreed, admired Jesus, agreed with and admired Jesus, and yet it was on this descent that he could not, he, he could not make the descent that Jesus invites us to. I say that because I'll quote him. This is in his own words, and this will be on the screen. It was, quote, it was impossible for me to believe that I could go to heaven or attain salvation only, that's the key word, only by becoming a Christian. It was more than I could believe that Jesus was the only incarnate son of God and that only he who believed in him would have everlasting life. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice and divine teacher, but not as the most perfect man ever born, end quote. So in other words, think about this. Gandhi, for Gandhi, the Sermon on the Mount was wonderful. It was helpful. It was, it was necessary, you know, for life. But once Jesus begins to speak of the exclusivity of the gospel, that is, that there is Jesus and there's no other way, you see, that's when people slip off the mountain. Millions upon millions of people, you all, admire Jesus, respect Jesus, but will never bow their knee to Jesus as the incarnate Son of God, the Lord of Lords. Because to do so, to bow the knee to Jesus is to say, there are no other ways. And these are the words that Jesus gives us in our conclusion. Over the next four weeks, so just so you know, the conclusion is four weeks long. uh, Jesus gives us four warnings. Um, Four times he's gonna warn us. Uh, It's it's done in four pairs, so just to, to preview this. He gives these four pairs and says there's, he would never say it like this, but I'm just, you know, using an idiom of ours. He would say, it's my way or the highway. That's what he's saying. There's my way and then there's no other way. And so this morning, as we begin the descent, he's going to, he's going to say there's two paths you can choose. Next week, Rob's here and Rob's going to talk about uh, two fruit Two, two fruits that, that you can choose. Then I'll be back and I'll be teaching on two claims or two pleas that can be made. And then, and then it'll end, the warnings end with two foundations. So that's what these next few weeks are gonna look like. What's at stake in these? This is, this is Jesus's words. There's, there's, in these choices, there's life and there's death. That's what you choose when you choose one 
or the other. So let's pick up where Rob left off. We're at verse 12 there in your Bible. Uh, I'm just gonna, this, this will be under the heading, verse 12, the golden rule. You know, this is how most know it. Jesus says this, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, most know this as the golden rule. You all, it's, I, I didn't know this till I read this, but you know, it, it, it's not known as the golden rule because it's precious, it's, it's, it's as you know, precious as gold, et cetera, et cetera. It's known, that, it's known by that because there was a Roman emperor, this is in the 200s, um, Alexander Severus. He, he inscribed these words in gold in his palace, in public buildings, and in his own private chapel. So that's where we get this, oh, it's the golden rule. Jesus is saying nothing, nothing less than this. He's, he's saying all that the prophets spoke all that's written in the, the word of God, you'd, you'd take your whole Old Testament, all the whole Old Testament, all of that is contained in these words in Matthew 7, verse 12. He's saying all of that is expressed, contained, fulfilled in this one verse. And it's consistent with what he says later, Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus speaking to a lawyer who's trying to trap him. Listen to what he says. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, it's so plain and simple and clear and gettable that my struggle has been, if I try to explain it, I only make it confusing. Um, it, it is such that a, a child can read this and go, you know, what, what does God require of me? And if you were to read to them, well, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Oh, okay, we, we, we can get that. Um, just by way of nuance, not even nuance isn't the right word, but just to, to, to understand it in its context, it does begin with the word so, or in your Bibles it may say, therefore, whatever you wish others would do. And that all, we always go, okay, there's a reason for that word, and it connects us to verses seven through 11, quite frankly, as well as the whole context of the sermon. So the application of the golden rule must be tied to those immediate verses and the whole. <clears throat> when we tie it to the immediate verses, um, I want you to think about this. This is what Rob taught last week. And, and when I watched him teach it, I was so excited to watch him because he was about to come out of his skin. He was so excited about just, just the, the realization of God is our father and he's a good father and he gives good gifts. You know, and Mandy mentioned to it, we can come to our good father. When you think about, okay, I'm gonna live the golden rule and, and, and it's plain, we understand it, okay. Someone does something to you or you're living life, you're interacting with someone that, that it always must be in our minds what we wish they would do to us. If they never do it, whatever. No, that should be our God to say, that's what I'm going to do to them. Now connect it to verses seven through 11. God is our good father who gives us, good gifts. So when you're living the golden rule, 
it's, it's required of us to think about not just, you know, carte blanche, what do I wish they would do for me? Some selfish thing. No, it's what, what is the godly good I would want someone to do to me? Oh, I will do that godly good to them. Are you with me? So, so it's the godly good that we would, we would want for ourselves. That's the godly good that we give to others. With that said, let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, don't, don't answer, just think. I want you to put yourself back in the last 24 hours of your life, your interaction with friends, family, strangers, your children. Just, you know, we all run into people in the last 24 hours. If the golden rule is the golden rule, is the rule of life, how have you measured up with your interactions with others? Strangers, it doesn't matter. <laughs> how, how, how have you spoken and acted towards others? Has it been the godly good you would want? You, you, you've given that godly good to others. I have not done that perfectly in the last 24 hours, and I would suggest no one has <laughs> because no one can. And, and that really gets us to why Jesus concludes the sermon, top of the mountain, we're getting ready to come down. It's dangerous, I'm warning you. We're getting ready to come down and we'll see, oh, this is why he ends the way he does with a call to choose and to choose wisely. It's why he ends with four warnings, y'all, four. I mean, I feel like you're talking to a child, that's, you know, who, who needs four warnings of the same thing? Because he says the same, it's the same warning, just said different ways. And surely it's because we do not heed warnings very well. You know, last week we had a few tornado warnings. What did you do when you heard the sirens? <laughs> Keep doing what you were doing or heed the siren, right? I mean... I, I am guilty of that. And why, why is it that we could hear a warning, a very serious warning about a tornado and, and not do anything? Well, and, you know, in part, surely it's because the, the probability of a tornado, and I'm, I'm not saying this to make light of this because some of us have experienced this and it'll kill you. I mean, there's loss of life, but the, we, we know the probability of that tornado or a tornado hitting our home is very, very small, right? So we hear the warning, but we don't heed the warning. Here, here's why I say that. Because when Jesus gives his warning and says, you can choose this or you choose this, and, and whichever you choose is gonna result in this, the probability that your choice results in what Jesus says it's gonna result in is 100%. So when, when you hear the warnings, there's four of them, and Jesus says, you can choose this life, you can choose this death, just know whatever you choose, you will get exactly what he says that choice will bring. That's the sobering nature of these warnings. We're gonna pick up the first one in verses 13 and 14 the first of four warnings. It's about two paths. Follow along in your Bibles. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. 
and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, again, it's like I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep myself out of the text to not confuse it because it's pretty clear. The first thing we'll note is he, he, he minces no words and he begins with a command. So you've got to take the first sentence, you know, in our text in verse 13. Here's the command, enter by the narrow gate. You know, Greek verbs, have, they have all these, there's just a lot within a Greek verb. Y'all, I'm not smart enough to, to, to know this. I, I've got to read it and study it. But this word enter, it is an aorist active imperative plural verb. I'm not saying that to impress you. I mean, I'm just reading what I'm studying but it, it, it's to say this, and the Greek language is designed in such a way that it has so many nuances. And it, it's simply to say this, when he says, enter by the narrow gate, it, number one, it means Jesus is talking to everyone. It means Jesus is speaking a command. It means that what he's commanding requires an urgent decision now. That's all in that. Like it's, he didn't say, I want you to think about some, I want you to think about, I want, you know, take your time, ponder, enter by the narrow gate and do it now if you haven't. That's what he's saying. And then he, and then we'll see this, okay, there's the, um, there's the, 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 I'm going to do it this way. There's the wide gate and there's the narrow gate. And then he's just going to, he's just going to go down both of those and say, you know, there's the, the, the wide gate is Easy leads to destruction, boatload of people on it. The narrow gate is hard. Huh? There's, there's, it's gonna lead to life and there's not many people on it. So he's just gonna walk us through those. Now, when, when you think about these choices, and, and, and again, the next four weeks will be two choices, two choices, two choices, two choices, two choices. I think it's interesting that there's just two. Just two. And I say that because in the same way that we don't heed warnings well, we don't like it when our choices are limited either. Um, we just don't, you know? I mean, there's some, you could go so many illustrations, but I, I just think of the, probably the most obvious one to, to many is a grocery store. Average grocery store has 40,000 items. Really? For, we need 40,000? We need, we need that many choices of peanut butter? Well, yeah, apparently, because people buy it, you know? Richard, or Barry Schwartz, <coughs> 2004, wrote a landmark book. It was called The Paradox of Choice, Why Less is More, why more is less, I'm sorry, why more is less, social psychologists, and he just unpacks and shows how our um, longing, you know, and demand for choices, rather than enriching and fulfilling our life, I have so many choices, it, he shows that a multiplicity of choices diminishes our satisfaction increases our anxiety, leads to depression and a waste of time. How about that? All those choices that we thought would bring wholeness and you know, fullness, in fact, only bring stress and prove utterly unsatisfying. So Jesus gives us two, and I believe it's in his mercy that he gives us two. You got two. You need not get confused here. There's one, there's one, and there's two. It's like, it's like flipping a coin. 
You know, you want heads or tails. See, like our kind of the American way is to go, well, how about edge? <laughs> like it's going to land on its edge? No, there's heads and there's tails. And, and Jesus says, make this choice. And then he goes on again in his mercy. He, this is not fuzzy. You know, sometimes in the Bible, we read things and we go, it, it could mean this, it could mean this, we're not sure. I mean, he just makes the two choices abundantly distinct. You cannot confuse them. I'll put it up on the screen. Notice uh, I've just laid it out in a chart form. Two gates, two paths, two destinations. That's pretty simple. There's two gates, one wide, uh, one narrow. Uh, if, if this stage were the wide gate, that's not a bad idea. It's like this wide. Um, and the, you know, that one door would be the narrow. You know what this means. Oh, there's a lot of room to go up on that gate and there's not much room to go through that one. In Jerusalem at the time, Jesus said these words. And in most of those cities, you go to Jerusalem today and see this. There are gates that you could bring, that you could walk through the gate with your buddy. You could walk through with three friends, walk through the gate. And then there are gates that everybody's got to get in one line. You got to just, you can only bring yourself through. That's the picture he's giving. He says, there is a, there are two paths. Um, There's a, an, an easy path. There's a, Hard path, this word easy really carries more of the idea of spacious. It's not a crowded, like once you're on the path, there's just room to meander and go about. The hard path carries the idea more what we think, and that is it's hard, it's difficult. You'll experience affliction and challenge and hardship on this path. He says there's two destinations. You can choose the wide gate that's got a lot of room on the path as you walk it, and it will lead to destruction. Let's use the word death because this is ultimately what it means and ultimately separation from God. This, this, it, this leads to your destruction. You can choose the narrow path. It's gonna be a very difficult path and it leads to life. This is a picture of life with God. Uh, we could say it this way. It'd be appropriate to say this is this is, um, this is the path to heaven, to, to, to an eternity with God. Uh, later on in Matthew, it'll be later in chapter um, 19, he's gonna speak to, um, or, or I'm sorry, not 19, but uh, no, it is 19. He's speaking to the rich young ruler here and he says, rich young ruler says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus is gonna say, enter by, and it's this idea, eternal life, life with God. So, so two gates, two paths, two destinations. Then he says, there's, you know, let me tell you about the groups of people on each of these paths. You choose the wide one and there's just going to be a lot of people on it. Uh, this is quote, the multitudes. This is, you know, a lot of folk. Uh, the narrow path by comparison to that will be, so to speak, few. This is the, this is the minority. This is the majority. Boy, you could pull a lot from that, couldn't you, in terms of um, life as we see it and the spiritual journey. You know, why is it that most people, in the, why is it that most people, don't answer out loud, but think about, just reflect on why most people, why is it most people choose the wide path? And I don't think that's a hard answer in the sense of, well, how about taking the first two categories, wide and easy, narrow and hard? I think I'll take the wide and easy one, right? I mean, it's, in our fallenness, we choose that. I think there's another reason and, and the, the, the thought that came to my mind was a proverb. And this is a proverb I've thought about often. And I think it helps us understand 
why people choose the wide path. It's Proverbs 16, 25. And the writer of Proverbs says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Always that proverb, you know, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. I think this is a very good interpretation of the wide path. It seems right. Seems right and is right. Can I say? They are eternally separated and far apart. Y'all, when I was thinking of this, seems right, is right, uh, what came to my mind was um, one of the Super Bowl commercials. Y'all probably seen this. Some some of you may not have, but um, I thought it was one of the better ones. Uh, But it's Tracy Morgan's Super Bowl ad for Rocket Mortgage. Just to set it up, you know, it's this family, they're buying a house and they're pretty sure they qualify. (laughs) And then then, then he he goes, pretty sure. And they go, well, what's the difference between pretty sure and certain? He goes, let me show you. (laughs) I'll let you see it. And he'll show you what the difference is between those two. Can we even afford this house? I'm pretty sure we can. Pretty sure. With Rocket Mortgage, you can be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. I'm pretty sure these are parachutes. Mine has a sandwich. That's mine. Pretty sure you do not run. I'm pretty sure you can take Batista down. You're on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is trending. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. Certain is better. Let's go with certain. Good choice. When you're buying a home, pretty sure isn't sure enough. Y'all, let's go with certain. Yeah, let's go with certain. (laughs) Uh, a, A humorous but insightful look. And if applied to our text, not humorous at all, not funny, but true. There's pretty sure and there's certain. There seems right and then there's is right. Jesus was not kidding when he said, you know, it may seem right, and you may want to go that one because it's wide and easy. He said, this is right. It's narrow, and it's hard. He was serious when he said it's hard. And oftentimes, we may forget just how serious he was. Think of it in this way. Jesus is the only human being who ever lived the golden rule perfectly. So there's never, Jesus never acted with another human being in any other way than out of God godly good. And what did it get him? So he treated everyone with godly good. Those he treated with godly good treated him. They killed him. That's how hard this road is. So you don't go on this road thinking, man, I've been pretty good to people. It's going to come back to me, pay it forward. No, no. It's a difficult difficult road. And it's not surprising. Jesus tells us this over and over in the gospels. Do you want to find your life? Lose it. Do you want to follow me? 
give up everything. And see, once on this path, we, we do, we say, Jesus, I'm coming to you as my Lord and Savior. You trust Jesus, you're a Christian. You begin to walk that path when, when, when the Holy Spirit's shaping Christ in you and you find, oh, there's more to give up. You thought you gave it up. No, well, there's more, there's more. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ah, uh, this road is so hard. And indeed it is. I asked earlier why most people choose the wide path. Think about this. Why is it that so few choose the narrow? Now there's a surface answer, right? I mean, the surface answer is because narrow and hard is not attractive to me. Well, no, it's not. I think there's a biblical answer. And that would be this. You will not choose the narrow gate apart from the spirit of God opening your eyes to see the narrow gate for what it truly is. In other words, you, you, you won't choose, you can't choose the narrow gate unless the spirit of God opens your eyes, so the eyes of your heart, to see the narrow gate for what it truly, truly is. And the key to that is very simple. This is not gonna surprise anyone. It's to see that the narrow gate is Jesus himself. He's, Jesus is speaking in John 10, describing himself as the shepherd of the sheep. He says in verse two, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then he goes on, as he always does, verse seven, truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, same Greek word, enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Y'all, it's only when the spirit, you know, I, I, could, I could teach all day. We, Rob could teach all week. We could sing songs. We could try and convince you or any, I, I, ultimately you're hearing this and, and apart from the spirit opening the eyes of someone to, this is true for all of us who've ever trusted Christ. It's the spirit who opened our eyes to see in the gate, the crucified, buried and risen Lord Jesus Christ. So perhaps, may I say, in this room, online, perhaps today is the day of your salvation. I don't know, but it could be. For others, you've made that choice. So you say, well, Lord, I've, I've chosen the narrow gate. I've, I've put my faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I do think there's still a choice for many of us in the room today, and that would be this. Perhaps you're on the road, you're on that way, and you know what? You are tired. I like what Mandy said. You find yourself, this road is, whew, I did not count on this on this road. I knew it was gonna be hard, but I didn't know this was gonna require this of me. I'm telling you, you hit those spots in the road, and you, this perhaps today is a day for you and I to reaffirm our walk and our trust on this road. So it is, and, and I'm just gonna say this, the next four weeks, and, and we do this every week because we know we need to apply the text, but my oh my, these next four weeks, I'm telling you, you come here, be prepared to make a decision. And I say that to you today. 
Today is a day of decision. So I want you to put your Bibles aside. You can fold, close your Bibles notes, your, you know, the iPad you're looking at, whatever it may be. I'm gonna invite the band to come join me. Um, we have some decisions to make. I'm gonna invite you to take the, the, the cup and the bread. If, if you're a guest or you forgot, y'all, this is totally okay. Slip out the back door and grab this. They're on the tables in the back if you wanna take the Lord's table. We do this week by week. And go ahead, and I'm gonna invite you to start taking, if you would, tear off that thin top part and uh, take the bread and then open up the cup. And, you know, I'm, I'm asking you to start now because when I take it in about five minutes, some of you will still be working on it. That's how I am. You know, I, I get stuck a few times. I got a good one. I got a good one this time. I have no fingernails because I bite them. So, so it takes a little bit of work. Let's peel that off. Have that ready. Um, y'all keep working on that as I speak. Why do we come to this table week by week? Because we need to be reminded week by week. Jesus is the gate, the narrow gate. And we need to be reminded what it cost him to be the narrow gate. Yes, it cost him his life. And that's what this bread and cup represent. He was unjustly condemned. So Jesus was punished uh, for crimes he didn't commit. He was an innocent man. He took the beating and he took the death. Why? Because he, he, was, he was doing it for you and me, for our sin. Um, he was rejected by his friends in the end, abandoned. Uh, he was condemned by his, by his enemies. He was stripped of the only thing that, 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 you know, he owned, you know, at the end, it was his underwear in a sense. It's just the final, final pieces of his clothing torn. To all those who did those things to him, uh, he loved to the end. The golden rule applied. This is, this is who the gate is. It's Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection for sinners like me and you. Let's stand together and I'll invite you to do one of two things or others if the spirit leads you. Number one, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you're in this room, you're online, you've never said to Jesus, you've never entrusted yourself to his life, death, and resurrection. What do you mean? Well, you've never said to him, Jesus, I believe. You died on the cross for my sins. You were buried and you rose again. You paid the penalty I deserved. You satisfied the wrath of God and you rose from the grave. You did that for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I trust you as my savior. You've never done that. Today, may I say, today is, is perhaps your day. And if, if you're listening or in this room and you go, you know, it makes sense to me what Lloyd just said, who Jesus is. Can I tell you? It only makes sense because the Spirit of God is opening your eyes. And I urge you, do not deny it, do not diminish it, do not ignore that, but believe. This is your moment to believe. For others in the room, we've, you've placed your faith in Christ, but perhaps you are on a road. And my goodness, there's, there's some mighty ruts in this road. Perhaps a pothole has taken you down. I mean, it happens. It certainly happens to me. So maybe today your decision is, Jesus, you, you're the gate. You've invited me on this path. You said it's hard, but this is the path of life. And maybe the decision is this, and this may help you. You see, J Jesus is not only the gate, 
according to the Bible, he is the path. It's not like he's, there's a path you're on. He's the path. How do I, why do I say that? Well, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Wait, he is the way, the way, the same words we're using here. He's the way. So, so maybe for you as a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, today's a, a good day to cast yourself in you, your full weight on the path that is Jesus. Trust that the destination is life. It's life now and it's life forever. Speak to God for a moment, then I'll lead us in taking these elements. for your body broken for us, represented in this bread. We say thank you. We remember your death on our behalf. For your blood poured out, the life, the symbol, the blood, life is in the blood and your blood was poured out. In other words, you gave your life, you died. You endured a separation from the Father for that's what sin has earned. And having no sin of your own, you rose from the grave. As we take the bread and cup, we are proclaiming, yes, Jesus came, Jesus is alive, Jesus is here right now in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we are proclaiming that Jesus, you're coming back one day to set all things right, all wrapped up in this bread and cup and all it represents. We say, thank you, Jesus. Take and eat the bread and drink the cup. By your spirit who lives in us, quicken our hearts to choose to follow you and to follow you fully, Lord Jesus.